Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu, Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Abrahamim, Father of mercies, Father, we worship you, we glorify you, and we thank you for everything you have already done this morning in our service. Father, we know that you are a good and loving God. We know that you are a God who desires an intimate relationship with us. And so, Father, I pray right now that as we open up your word, that you will intimately interact with us, that you will speak into our hearts and our lives uh, right here, right now in this place. Use me as a vessel for you, as a tool for your glory. Father, let nothing of me be involved except that which you have already ordained for your purposes and speak into our hearts and our lives. Humble our hearts and our minds to receive from you this morning, to hear your voice, and to recognize that you have moved and have touched today. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen. Uh, today we're in Parsha Vayeshev. Um, the message is going to be a little bit different today. Uh, not just because I'm different in general, but because I think the Lord has a very unique and timely message for where we sit right now this week in this holiday season. Um, you know, we just finished with, with the High Holy Days. Uh, we just finished with... Uh, Thanksgiving, we've got Hanukkah starting tonight, and then in the Christian world, we've got Christmas uh, that's tomorrow, and the first day of Hanukkah and Christmas fall on the same day this year, um, and I just think that that's it's uncanny watching how God works these things out, all right? We've seen in, in years previous where we've had, um, actually this year and last year both, where we had Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, when we celebrate the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, uh, and we celebrate the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, in Acts chapter 2. Um, uh, it's a commanded feast from Leviticus. And we see that this past year and last year that the entire body of Messiah were celebrating uh, Shavuot and Pentecost at the same time. All right? So the, the, the day that the church celebrates the outpouring of the Ruach and the day that we celebrate the outpouring of the Ruach, the day that we historically know when it occurred, were on the same exact day last year and this year. Uh, and there's just something powerful when the body Messiah, even if we don't know it, when the body Messiah is doing something unique. Um, and as I said in the beginning of service, although I don't personally celebrate Christmas as a congregation, we don't. Some in our congregation do. Some uh, in the Messianic Jewish movement do. Uh, but there's still something unique to the fact, and, and I think it's important that we pay attention to it. There's something unique to the fact that this year Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, the Feast Festival of Lights begins on Christmas. And so all of the body of Messiah, whether intentionally or not, uh, whether we knew it in advance or not, all of the body of Messiah will be looking to the light that has come at the same exact time. And that's a powerful statement. There's something to that unity, even when we don't know that we're in unity. There's something to that unity. Um, and so I think that there's a message of hope uh, that I have for you this morning. It, it may be a message of condemnation for some, I don't know. But I think it's a message of hope. I think it's a message of things that are to come. Um, uh, but I want to encourage you this morning as we read through the Parsha, as we dig into what's going on, to open your hearts to what the Lord has to say. So if you open to Genesis chapter 37, beginning with verse 5. Uh, Genesis, Genesis 37 is the, the beginning of this Parsha. We read about Joseph. Um, it's funny that it begins kind of like Sarah, where it says, and this is the life of Sarah, and then starts talking about uh, Isaac and really doesn't ever mention Sarah again the rest of the Parsha. Um, here we read uh, in the very beginning, verse 2, here is the history of Yaakov, of Jacob, and then immediately it's talking about Joseph. 
Uh, so the, 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 the kind of the direction of it changes. And it's interesting that he says these are the generations or this is the lineage, the history of, of Jacob. And it starts with Joseph, which is his 11th born son. Right? He had 10 others born before Joseph. Joseph was the 11th born son. And he starts with him. Now he goes to talk about all the rest of it. The, the Torah talks about all the rest of them and, and, and uh, how they jack things up and you know, kind of reminds us of how we jack things up on a daily basis um, and, and so on. But he begins the narration, the Torah begins the narration of, of Jacob's sons with Joseph. Um, and here's why. Because Joseph is one of the only characters, the only uh, people that we read about in the scriptures and throughout the scriptures, throughout the Tanakh, the Old Testament, there are a ton of Messianic-like or Messianic foreshadowing, Messianic-like people, right? We have David, we have Moses, we have Abraham, uh, we have uh, Noah, we have all of these individuals. Joseph is one of those. But except Joseph, in every other case, each of these foreshadowings of Messiah, either foreshadowing the first coming or the second coming, but never both. Joseph is the only one that is a foreshadowing of both the first coming and the second coming. He spends half his life suffering uh, on behalf of his brothers. Uh, I mean, really get down to the nitty-gritty of it. He's, he's suffering at the hands of his brothers, but it's on behalf of them because that suffering brings him to the place where he becomes victorious on behalf of his brothers. And God puts him in that place to bring salvation, if you would, to bring a redemption and ultimately a restoration of the relationship, but a redemption to his brothers and to his father's household. And it's from that that the entire nation of Israel is birthed uh, from that, that reunification. So it's really neat to see how all this plays out. So here in verse 5, Genesis chapter 37, verse 5, it says, Then Joseph dreamed a dream and told his brothers, and they, and they hated him even more. So right out the gate we know, probably should have kept his mouth shut. Uh, you know, we get a little excited when something awesome is going on. We want to share it. Sometimes we have to be a little discerning and go, maybe I should sit on this for a little while, especially when they already hate me because my dad loves me more than all of them. Uh, verse 6, he said to them, please listen to the dream I dreamed. There, were, uh, there we were binding sheaves in the middle of the field. All of a sudden, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Will you truly be king over us? His brother said to him, will you really rule over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and because of his words. Notice it says they hated him more because of his dreams. Earlier it says he dreamed a dream. He told his brothers and they hated him even more. Uh, here it says they hated him even more because of his dreams. Now here in the Torah, it's only telling us so far of one dream. But it says they hated him because of his dreams. I believe Joseph was a, a, a visionary. He was a dreamer. I believe God gave him visions and dreams, and I don't think these two were the only two. I think he likely saw other dreams. These are the two that were a pertinence to the, the scriptures. They were a pertinence for what God was doing and revealing in his scriptures, but I don't think that they were all the dreams that he had, and I think he had been sharing them along the way with his household and causing more angst. Verse 9, but then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brother, saying, I have dreamed another dream. Suddenly there was the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to me. He told it to his father as well as his brothers. Then his father rebuked him and said to him, what's this dream you dreamed? Will we really come, your mother and I, with your brothers to bow down to, you, uh, to the ground to you? So his brothers were jealous of him. And here's the catch. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the speech in mind. Notice two things here. First and foremost, earlier it says his brothers were angry with him, that they hated him. All of a sudden, the language changes. It's not a hatred anymore. I mean, they still hate him. But their response is not hatred. Their response is jealousy. Their response isn't jealousy because of their father, because their father is already condemning him for it. 
right? And previous to this, it says that they were jealous of him. They're angry of him because the fact that his father loved him more, that he was his favorite. And there was this instant turmoil in the, brother, in the, the brothers. Uh, but here, all of a sudden, the language changes. It's not hatred anymore. Now it's jealousy. They still hate him. We see that because they want to kill him. But there's jealousy. There's this jealousy that arises. And I think there's jealousy that arises because in some sense, just like his father kept it in the back of his mind, and we see later in the story of Joseph when all of a sudden it rushes back to his head when his father's reunited with him and he's sitting on the throne in Egypt and he is second in command to Pharaoh, uh, uh, only to Pharaoh. And, and realistically, he's more important than Pharaoh uh, in the, 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 the nation of Egypt. And so I think his father recognized that there may be something to this. So he, he got onto his case for being rude about it, for saying something when he shouldn't have. Uh, but his father held it in the back of his mind because I think in some ways he saw himself and what God did to him. He was a dreamer. He had visions too. Jacob had visions too. He knew that these could be from God. And so in some ways he, he held on to that and he, he kept it in the back of his mind at all times. But with the brothers, they were hate, hatred arose the first time. The second time he, he told this, this dream, uh, it, it wasn't a hatred per se anymore, but instead things changed to jealousy. And I think it changed to jealousy because even they recognized there may be some truth in this. And they go, wait, he's the youngest of us, but something might actually be going on. And much like the enemy, and we talked about this when we dealt with Genesis 1, and uh, Genesis 1 through 3, much like the enemy tries to project his own problems on us, right? The enemy was kicked out of heaven because he thought he could be God. He couldn't be God, so he comes down. He's kicked out of the presence of God. Then he comes to humanity, which was created to be in the presence of God. He says, "Not if, if I can't have it, nobody can have it. And he tries to, to derail humanity. He breaks humanity down uh, to where we're no longer allowed to be in the presence of God. And if you remember, what he said was exactly what he thought. He said, oh, don't worry. If you eat of that fruit, God just knows you're going to be like him, Right? And he tries to derail them. Well, here, <clears throat> the enemy's trying to derail what's going to happen through Joseph. And the way he's going to try and derail it is through the brothers. And he says, look, if, if we can't have dad's love, if we can't have all of this, you can't have it. And so the next little bit we read about, he's, his father sends him out to check on his brothers. He goes out to check on his brothers. While he's on his way to them, they're off planning this plan as they see him in the distance to kill him. Right? They want to they slice his throat and, and get rid of him. Uh, and, and they end up selling them to the Ishmaelites. Again, here comes the, the problems with uh, Ishmael and Esau arising in the, as a thorn in the side of Israel again. But they sell them off to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites sell them off to, to, to Egypt. And so in the back of, of Joseph's mind, he's got to be thinking, you know, clearly God gave me these visions. Clearly there's something huge in my life. But this kind of sucks along the journey right now. Like, where am I going? What's he planning on doing? Because this is miserable right now. Right? But he never sells God out. He never gets upset. He never denies God. He never gets mad at God. He never tries to, to tear God down or to denounce what he believes God has in store for him. Instead, he just humbly waited. Over and over and over again, he just humbly waits. He remains true to his walk and his relationship and his faith with the God of his forefathers, but he humbly waits. And then he gets into Potiphar's house and he starts to rise in, in authority there. And then Potiphar's wife goes and tries to mess with him and ruins everything. And he gets sent to jail. And now he's in the bottom rung of humanity again. And he's sitting in jail. And then he rises in the ranks in jail. And then he's forgotten about for two years after he reveals the meaning of the dreams of, uh, of the baker and the wine taster, wine server. He's forgotten about for two years. He says, look, when all this comes true, don't forget about me. All right, I'm down here. Don't forget about me. For two years, he's left out to dry. He's forgotten about. 
Again, things look like they're going in the right direction. Things look like they're going well. And then bottoms out again. And he humbly waits. And he humbly waits. And two years later, the opportunity arises. As per God's providence, the opportunity arises for him to stand before Pharaoh. He reveals Pharaoh's dream. He reveals the, through the, the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, um, the, the way to bring about protection and provision for the land and so on and so forth. And Pharaoh puts him to this massive pet position of authority and everything progresses from there. But ultimately we see the reunification of his family, the restoration of his family, and long term, the birthing of the nation of Israel from there. Um, but it took all of these really bad things to occur. It took all of these things to, to go on. And as they went on, he just humbly rode out what was happening. He just sat there and waited. A lot of times we as believers, we as humans, we get these visions for what the Lord has in store for us, right? We get these dreams of what the Lord's going to do either through us or through, you know, as a community or what have you, what he's got in store. And we get so anxious to see it happen that we tend to get ahead of what God's got in store. We tend to get ahead of the lessons he wants us to learn along the way. We tend to, to get in his way rather than following his way. And I think it's important that we learn these lessons from him because, look, here's the reality of it. We are a Messianic Jewish synagogue, right? We're a congregation of Jews and Gentiles who believe in the promised Messiah of Israel, who believes that Yeshua has come, that he was born of a virgin, that he uh, died for our sins, that he resurrected from the grave, and that he ascended to sit on high uh, at the right hand of the Father, that he will return on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives will split, and we will be ushered ultimately into the kingdom of God for all eternity, right? I mean, summing it all, you know, a whole lot of stuff down into just a simple statement. We believe in all of this going on. We are a Messianic Jewish synagogue, which means that we hold to Jewish customs and traditions. We hold to the entirety of Scripture, not just Matthew through Revelation. So we keep the feasts and the festivals. We honor Shabbat. We uh, strive as best we can as individuals in the community to keep kosher and so on and so forth. We do all of these things for the Lord. And because we know that as we follow our relationship with the Lord and the path that he's directed us, others will see and others will want to take part. They'll ask questions. They'll jump in. But... As believers in a Messianic Jewish congregation, far too often we also fall prey to getting ahead of the will of God, ahead of what he's got in store. And so what we end up doing is we get all excited. We suddenly, look, we're in Hanukkah, we're getting ready for Hanukkah right now, so it makes perfect sense to deal with this at this very moment. It's right up against Christmas. It makes it really easy to, to have this discussion. We get really anxious this time of year. For a number of reasons. One is our family's going to look at us as weird because we don't celebrate Christmas. Our friends are going to look at us weird because we don't celebrate Christmas, right? Uh, and, and some may, and that's, that's fine. But, but as a whole, like we, that our congregation, we're not going to have this big Christmas pageant, and we're not going to have carolers going out as an outreach from the congregation, and we're not going to have a big Christmas tree in the congregation, and we're not going to decorate the whole place with, with weird lights and all this kind of stuff. Um, but, but we do fervently believe that Messiah has come. We do fervently believe in his virgin birth. We just honor it a little bit different. We honor it a little more akin to what the first century body of Messiah would have. And so we get really, really zealous for the Lord and for the place that the Lord has us in now. And we start to attack our friends and our family. And all you gotta do is look on Facebook for a few minutes and you see this really quick and easy, right? Now our friends and our family are gonna attack us. And I think that's when we're supposed to be like Joseph and just humbly ride things out. But I think we have to be like Joseph also and not try and force it down other people's throats. Joseph told his dreams, got him a lot of problems. But ultimately, he wrote out the consequences from it, right? He wrote it out and everything came true. 
And then his father at the end uh, had this, all of a sudden, this memory that pops in his head. Oh, yeah, this is exactly what my kid said was going to happen. This is awesome. But as believers, we want to shove, uh, as Messianic believers, we want to shove it down people's throats. Um, and and, and I, don't, I don't think we do it from the wrong place, but I do think we do it. We're guilty of it. All of us are guilty of it in one way or another. And we have to be cautious how we approach the rest of the body of Messiah. Because although I look at Christmas and I see the pagan roots and I go, okay, well, the scripture says get away from all of that. So we should probably get away from all of that. But there are other believers that aren't in the same place that I am. And they look at it and they still worship the God of all creation. They still celebrate the fact that Messiah has come. And although I truly believe they're doing it at the wrong time in the wrong way, they're still doing it. And I would rather their mind and their heart be in the right place doing it the wrong way than they not be in that place at all. Because if they're there, they're definitely not here. And my trying to drag them over here is not going to get them here any closer, any quicker. But if we just humbly ride things out and people see that we're a little different, slowly they'll start coming around. Slowly they'll start asking questions. Slowly. And I guarantee there's not a single person in this room that are here because somebody put a hook around their neck and drug them in. God brought them through this process little by little by little until ultimately we're where we are now, right? I want you to understand something. Joseph is a prime example of how we as believers will live our lives. And here's why it's so important that we look at Joseph as a prime example as believers of how we are supposed to live our lives. <clears throat> in, in Luke, if you have your scriptures, go to open up Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Uh, I've quoted some of these passages a lot in our congregation. I think it's really important. And I think it's, it's a good quick kick in the gut that we recognize these words, right? In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says, Then Yeshua was saying to everyone, If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross every day and follow me. Keep in mind, he had not been put on the stake yet. All right, so when he said, take up your stake, take up your cross and follow me, his followers were confused. It didn't make sense. There was no correlation yet. He says, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross every day and follow me. Notice he doesn't say, just take up your cross once and follow him and everything be right. You got to take it up every day. Uh, things are going to be miserable every day. Not every day, but enough of the days that it feels like every day. Um, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And then we skip forward to chapter 14, uh, verse 25. This is where it gets even more complicated. Now great crowds were traveling with Yeshua. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, brother, uh, children, brothers, and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, just a little bit before this, early in his ministry, Yeshua says hate is wrong, right? It's equal to murder. Uh, if you've hated someone in your heart, you've already committed the sin of murder in your heart, right? So obviously he didn't really mean hate here or else he's schizophrenic. Uh, and, and I just don't see God like that, right? So Yeshua is clearly not saying we literally have to hate our father, our mother, our sister, our brother, our children, and even ourselves. But what he is saying is we've got to be willing to give up everything. As a Messianic Jewish believer, as, as a Jewish believer, I got that. I, I'm okay. I understand that. Like for a long time, we didn't have that close relationship with my family because we were believers. And that was a problem. They weren't okay with it. I understand that. Jewish believers, that is easy. We understand that. You become a believer, your family denies you. They denounce you. They disown you. They walk away from you. Very often, you'll never have anything to do with them again. I've been blessed been blessed that my family is in my life again. My extended family are in my life and have been for quite some time. Um, and, and it's awesome. But, uh, but growing up and not being close to your grandparents, it's rough. Not being real close, seeing the relationship that your cousins have 
and you're not that close with them. It's painful. It hurts. As believers, as Gentile believers, this is not something so easy to grasp in the church. All right? And here's why I say that. Because if you're raised Baptist, right, Jason, if you're raised Baptist and you leave and you go to a charismatic church, your family's going to be a little perturbed, but you're not going to be upset. You'll still get invited over to have Easter ham. Uh, you'll still be invited over for Christmas. You'll still be invited over for Sunday dinner. You'll show up a little later because they're out in an hour and you're there for three or four, but you know, you'll, show, you'll still be invited. <clears throat> but <laughs> but the, the reality is, is all of a sudden, if you leave the church altogether and become messianic and you start living your life more like Yeshua did because that's what he's called us to do and you start living your life more like the disciples did because that's what he's called us to do, all of a sudden, it's a problem. You didn't just jump ship to another denomination. You've completely left the faith in their mind. You've become Judaizers. You've joined a cult. You're, you know, whatever. Think of all the disgusting, despicable things you can imagine. You've done that, right? I've even heard them go so far as to say that by being part of Messianic Judaism, you're putting them back on the stake again, right? It's, it's brutal. But that's not what we're actually doing. As a matter of fact, the reality is, I would say that in some ways, we strive to live our lives in a deeper walk because we're striving to emulate Messiah. We're striving to live our lives like he did, like his disciples did. And so as a Jewish believer, being willing to walk away and deny everything, being willing to pick up my stake and my cross and follow him every day, it's an easy one to understand. Not necessarily an easy one to do, but it's an easy one to understand. As a Gentile believer, only in a Messianic synagogue is it easy to understand. Because all of a sudden, that's sending out your family, oh, you're going under the law, you're joining a cult, you've got to be careful with those Jews, you've got to be careful with this, you've got to be careful. While at the same time, they worship the Jewish Messiah, you just got to be careful with those Jews, right? Jewish Messiah is okay, all those Jews and Jew stuff, that, that's not okay. Um, and it's a, these are blanket statements, all right? Don't, don't take it too far out of whack. It's a blanket statement. But the, the reality is, is in a Messianic Jewish synagogue, as believers, both Jew and non-Jew, we all understand what it means to pick up our stake and to follow him. We understand what it means to hate our father, mother, sister, brother, children, even ourselves. He doesn't mean literally hate them. He just means you have to be willing to walk away from them. You have to be willing to put him above all else, to put his calling on your life above all else, to put being his disciple above all else. He said in, in chapter 9, what we just read, he said at the very end, for whoever wants to save his own life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I don't think this is just Peter being hung upside down on a cross. This is lose, be willing to lose everything you've ever known. You've got to be willing to give it all up. It doesn't mean you're going to have to. You've got to be willing to. You've got to be willing to give it all up. In Acts chapter 7, we read about one of my all-time favorite passages in Scripture. We read about Stephen. Stephen being drugged before the Sanhedrin. And as he's drugged before the Sanhedrin, uh, he's accused of all these things. They drag him out, and he's given the chance. They say, the head of the Sanhedrin says, hey, are these things true? Do you have anything to say for yourself? Stephen could have easily went, oh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm good. I don't want to die. All right, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. All right, I'm cool with it. But Stephen took this to heart, and he picked up his own cross, and he followed Messiah. And Stephen spends the next several uh, minutes of his life recounting before those that stood, this mass that wanted to kill him, recounting to them the work of our God and bringing salvation to our people. 
and he begins from the very beginning, and he begins uh, with the, the work of Messiah and what he did through creation. He goes into Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph, and he moves into Moses and Aaron, and he moves across to, to the prophets and, and continues on until ultimately he gets to verse 51. And he's speaking to this audience who are holding stones in their hand ready to kill him. That's chutzpah. That's guts. Right? You know you're about to die. You're going to go down fighting. And I don't mean fighting like swinging. I mean you're going down fighting for the kingdom. You want to make sure they understand what Messiah has done. Verse 51, stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You continually oppose the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. You do the same things your fathers did. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who told in advance about the comings of the Zadok, of the righteous one, Messiah. And now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You who receive the Torah as having been delivered by angels, but do not keep it. Um, I just realized my Bible app changed translations on me. I like the way it's worded even better in the tree of life. So I'm going to jump back to the tree of life. Oh, you stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised of hearts and ears, you always resist the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, just as your fathers did, you do as well. Which of the prophets your fathers not persecute? They killed the ones who foretold of the coming of the righteous one. Now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You who received the Torah, you who received the word of God by direction of angels and did not keep it. And then he continues on. <coughs> Excuse me. He continues on as the, the people or the crowd is getting more and more angry. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 54 says, when they heard these things, they became enraged and began gnashing their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Ruach HaKodesh, full of the Holy Spirit, look, the spirit was raging in him. The spirit was raging him, and he was willing to put it all on the line and to follow no matter what, to follow what the spirit was doing. But Stephen, full of the Ruach HaKodesh, full of the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Yeshua standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and crying out with a loud voice, they rushed at him with one impulse, driving him out of the city that began stoning him. And the witnesses laid down their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he was calling out, Lord, you shall receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out with a loud voice. And this is all too important. Stephen falls on his knees and he repeats the word. You want to talk about emulating Messiah. Falls to his knees and basically repeats the words Messiah said on the stake. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. After he said this, he died. And we pick up with verse 1 of chapter 8. Now Saul was in agreement with Stephen's execution. Saul, known as Paul, becomes one of the greatest leaders of the body of Messiah. One of the most proficient New Covenant writing, uh, writers, New Testament writers uh, in the Bible. Like two-thirds almost of the Brachadashah, the New Covenant, was written by his hand. Or at least dictated and written by somebody else's hand, but he, he wrote it. Two chapters after this, and I think this is exactly why at the very end there's this little snapshot of Paul being involved. Two chapters after this, on the Damascus Road, Paul has an encounter with his Messiah. And I think Stephen being willing to lay it all on the line, being waiting, wait, willing to even hate his own life, to give his own life up. Stephen, God used to bring a humility to Paul's heart, to bring a softening to Paul's heart, to begin to tear them down the blinders on Paul's eyes so that two chapters later when he has this encounter with the Messiah, his heart is able to accept and receive. 
we have to understand that sometimes it's not by force that we're to, to lead people either to Messiah or just to Messianic Judaism. It's not by force because it doesn't matter. It's not going to make any difference in people's lives. We try to force them to do something. But there is something to living our lives in such a fashion that everything else around us is not. Everything else around us is, is meaningless because all we care about is the zeal that we have for our Lord and following what he has placed on our heart. It doesn't mean we bash others for not doing what we do, but we live our lives in a fashion that they want what God is doing in our lives, in their lives. Look, there's a lot of congregations, a lot of, of, of uh, churches, and Messianic synagogues, but a lot of churches in the body of Messiah today that need a service like we've had today, that need an encounter with the Ruach HaKodesh like we've had today, and like we've had for months on end. They need it. And if we continue to do what God has called us to do and we continue to walk our lives out like Joseph, humbly awaiting what the Lord has in store, faithfully doing what the Lord has placed on our hearts to do, faithfully looking forward to the vision he has given us, if we continue to live like Stephen, willing to literally lay it all on the lines, preaching the message of Messiah, humbly awaiting what the Lord has in store, quickly forgiving and asking for forgiveness upon those that persecute us, even while they have the stone in their hand and the stone is being bashed against our head, people's lives will be changed. They will see the work of Messiah in our lives. They will see what he has done. And just like with Paul, as the words of Stephen are being birthed, just like with Paul, their hearts will be softened. The blinders will be removed and they will begin to see the fullness. See, look, here's the thing you gotta understand, all right? The things that we do on a regular basis as a Messianic Jewish synagogue, like, I don't know, let's just talk about Sukkot, right? Feast of Sukkot, the feast of the, the, the uh, Festival of Tabernacles. The things that we do on a regular basis, whether we see it happening or not, all of creation will be doing in the end. It tells us in the millennial reign that the nations will all come down to Jerusalem to celebrate Sukkot. And if they don't, they're going to experience plagues. They're going to experience a lack of rain, a lack of food, and so on and so forth. They're going to be doing it at some point. It's not our job to get them there. It's God's job. Whether it's now or later, it doesn't matter to me as long as they're there. My desire and, and, and my prayer for our congregation is that we are willing to humbly ride out what the Lord's got in store because he has a vision waiting for us. We're seeing some of it birth even in our midst. It is happening and it is going to happen even more than we could ever imagine, especially as these end of days continue to roll upon us. The Lord has something powerful for our congregation, for the body of Messiah as a whole, but especially for Messianic Judaism as God begins to restore the Jewish head of the body of Messiah. It is our responsibility not to force it down people's throats, but to humbly ride out what happens in between because there's going to be a lot of persecution. It's going to be a lot of suffering. We're going to deal with a lot of people that are going to give us all kinds of crap because of who we are and what we believe and how we live our lives. Ignoring the fact that we believe the same thing they believe in terms of Messiah being Yeshua and that he came and died for our sins and resurrected to bring us into new life. We all believe the same thing in the body of Messiah when it comes to who Yeshua is. We're just willing to live it out in an emulation of him. They'll all join with us at some point. But if we humbly ride out with the Lord's God awaiting his vision to become reality, I promise we're going to see that birth. We're going to see these things start to happen. We're going to see people coming in wanting more of what God is doing here. Not 
Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. They're not going to be coming just because we're celebrating Sukkot or Hanukkah or Purim or Passover or any of that. They're going to be coming because they see the work of God, because they see the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, because they see what the Spirit of the Lord is doing here. And they see that it's connected to us being an emulation of Messiah. It's connected to us doing those things. It's connected to us faithfully serving him. It's connected to us picking up our stake, our cross, and following him every single day, day in and day out. It's not just a once a week thing, don't pick up your cross and show up on Saturday morning. If you're not picking it up Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, don't bother picking it up on Saturday morning. It's a daily thing, just pick up your cross every day and follow me. That means that he's promising every day is going to be difficult. It's not always gonna be the same difficult, but every day is gonna have a quick kick in the butt. The question is how are we gonna respond? Are we going to respond in a way that people see Stephen's heart? Or are we going to respond in a way that we become like uh, Esau and Ishmael? Where we care more about just getting back at those that have harmed us. The reality is, is we have to be humble. We have to be willing to follow what the Lord says. Pick up our cross and follow him. It's not easy. Just look at Joseph's life. It's not easy. At all. Who wants to spend time in prison? Who wants to be sold into slavery by your own brothers? Who wants to be accused of stuff you never did? Who wants to have to hide ourselves from our family when they're reunited with us just so that we can fish out whether they're truly changed or not? Or if they're just going to sell us out again? You ever thought about that? Who wants that? But whether you like it or not, as a believer in Messiah Yeshua, in a world surrounded with people who are not, that's what we've been called to be. We've been called to be fervent in faith no matter what. Against all odds, pick up our cross and follow him. It's not easy all the time, but I promise you the rewards will outweigh the burdens that we deal with here and now. We've heard just this morning testimony of what the Lord has and will and can continue to do in people's lives. And it doesn't just end there. He's got so much more in store. Look, the Lord has promised us. Yeshua said, when the comfort of the Ruach HaKodesh comes, we can do even greater things than he did. I'm ready. I'm ready. Not for me, for him. It's not about my ego. Like raising people from the dead, that freaked me out more than I build my ego up. It's about him. I'm just being honest. It's about him. When we pray for people and they're healed, it's not for my sake, it's for him. When we pray for people's salvation and they come to the Lord, it's not for my sake, it's for him. We've got to be willing to lay it all on the line. People are going to look at us as though we're weird. Yeshua dealt with it. The disciples dealt with it. As a matter of fact, they all died for it. Are you willing to die for it? Because that's what we're called to be willing to do. Pick up our cross and follow him. And the day will come. The day will come when the anti-Messiah has risen. The day will come where he will, the, the, the forces of the enemy. I dread, I dread the vision of this. The day will come for the forces of the enemy 
will line families up, families of believers will line us up with a gun to our head. The way I, you know, I picture stuff in my head like this sometimes, movie-wise, like I read scripture, like it comes alive in my head. The forces of the enemy, the, the armies of the anti-Messiah are gonna line believers up. You just look at Syria and Iraq, we're seeing it. It's happening before our own eyes. The enemy is going to line us up. He's going to put a gun to the father's head and say, denounce Messiah or I'll kill your youngest kid. Denounce Messiah or I'll kill your next kid. And just walk down the line, popping around in every one of their head until he gets to the wife and ultimately to you. And I can tell you right now, if you are not willing to put it all on the line when things are easy like it is now, when the gun is to your head, you will renounce Messiah. And what takes me off more is there are plenty of believers that are going to watch their family drop one by one and it's going to be one of the guns to their head that they realize they really weren't sold out for him the day is coming where what we talk about now when life is easy isn't going to be easy and if we're not just like I said if you don't pick up your steak Monday through Sunday through Friday don't bother on Saturday it's the same thing. If we are not walking faithfully and fervently for him now, willing to put it all on the line day in and day out now, when we're literally put on that cross, we're not going to be willing to take the punishment for it. We're not going to be willing to deal with the consequences of our faith. We will renounce him. My heart's desire is to see our mishpacha, our family here, to see the entire body of Messiah walk so fervently in the power and the, the uplifting joy of the Ruach HaKodesh that we don't even realize that this is burdensome. I don't mean carrying our cross, but just dealing with the day-to-day. -day. We don't even realize that this is burdensome. That way, when it really gets burdensome, it just seems like a rough day. Because it's going to take that kind of power and force of the Ruach to bring us through that. It's easy right now to say, if I were put on the line, I'd take a bullet. It's easy to say it when the bullet's not there. But if you weren't willing to truly live it when the bullet's not there, when it is there, it's not gonna matter. My heart's desire is that no one in this room, no one ever connected to us, will ever have to experience that but I know that it will come where some might. Like I said, look at Iraq and Syria right now. We have to be Joseph now. We have to be Stephen now. We have to be like Yeshua now. We have to be Paul, we have to be Peter, we have to be these guys that laid it all on the line here and now while it's easy. When our families give us a rough time, when our friends give us a rough time, when others in the body of Messiah, when churches around us give us a hard time because we're different. We have to do it now. Because if we don't, we're not going to be successful then. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, God, we cry out for your mercies anew. We cry out for your heart to be poured upon us in such a way 
that we willingly and wholeheartedly pick up our stake and follow you. Father, we cry out right now for an overpowering of your Ruach HaKodesh, of your Holy Spirit upon us. Here and now, Father, that there will be no question in our mind when the day comes that things actually get problematic. That we know we will stand firm for you. That we know that we will be willing to put our lives on the line for you. Because we have been willing and able and walking it out all of this time. Father, I pray that you overpower us with your Ruach HaKodesh in a way that we can faithfully live out our life as an emulation of our Messiah. So that those around us will see the truth of your saving grace, the truth of your works in our lives, and that they will want what they see in us in their life. Father, we carry as believers in Yeshua HaMashiach, we carry the hope and the light that this world needs. And in this day, in this hour, as we prepare for Hanukkah and as the body of Messiah around us prepares for Christmas tomorrow, Father, we need more than ever to be that light of Messiah in this dark and gloomy world. We need more than ever to let that light of dedication shine forth so that others will feel the warmth of your presence and be drawn in. Father, use us for your glory, for the good of your kingdom and for the lifting of your name before all men. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen.